But today we're going to take our reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I think we'll take the time to read the entire chapter. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, Pray for us. 
Greet all the brethren with an holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. It is the inspired word of the living God. May God add his blessing to the public reading of his precious word for his name's sake. Let's bow briefly in prayer. Father in heaven, we rejoice today that thou hast brought us together in thy house to hear the word of the Lord. We thank thee today for the infallible book. We rejoice, O Lord, in the authority that rests upon it. We thank thee, Father, that when we hear the words we have heard, we have heard from heaven. Now, Lord, thou hast appointed as the central feature of the worship of thy people, the proclamation of thy word. And we pray that thou would undertake to grant the grace needed for that proclamation today. O Lord, grant that thou wilt fill me with thy Spirit's power to the very uttermost. And this day, grant that the word thou hast appointed will be a means of grace to every soul. So hear our cry, we pray, and write thy word in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take as our text the 24th verse of 1 Thessalonians 5, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. We have read this whole chapter, and it is a remarkable chapter, especially the latter part of it, for the very brief series of imperatives telling us how we are to conduct ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to take the time to go through all of those today, but I think it is worth noting that beginning in verse 16, you have a series of simple commands. And if you want to know what Christian living is about, you just have to go through those simple commands. And when you come to the conclusion, to the chapter and to the epistle, here is the prayer of the apostle, that the God of peace would sanctify you wholly that he would bless you and preserve you unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But today we take verse 24 as our text, and we are here on this anniversary Sunday for this congregation. And on this Sunday, mindful of the text, we go back to the councils of eternity when the all-wise and omnipotent creator decreed that this church would begin in the year of our Lord, 1986, and that it would be a means of extending the kingdom of Christ in this area and around the world. 
This church had its beginning in the mind of God. And as we sit here today, 37 years after the founding of this church, that reality should impress us afresh. Before one person thought to pray, and there were some who did pray, for such a church as ours to begin before any of us existed, before the world existed, God's thoughts were upon us, and his mercy extended to us in his purpose to call this church into existence. The church in Thessalonica, to whom the inspired apostle wrote, had a similar heritage, as did every other church ever established. In Thessalonica, the preaching of the word of God by the apostle Paul and those who were with him in his second missionary journey demonstrated the outpouring of God's spirit. Sinners in Thessalonica believed on Christ and becoming believers, they developed in the faith of the gospel. The missionaries that Paul led organized in Thessalonica a church. And that church became a model of missionary activity in subsequent years. If you go back in this epistle to chapter 1, you will find something of that spirit. Chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians and verse 8, Paul said to them, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And there's much mention in this epistle of the coming of his Son from heaven. And that certainly is part of the pulse, the heartbeat of every true church is the expectation, the anticipation of the coming of Christ. Now the believers in Thessalonica did not find the way easy in the establishment of the church or in the maintaining of the church. Their faith faced testing. They had to go beyond what they thought was possible, what they thought they could endure. But they stretched themselves. Here's the thing that I would emphasize to you today. They stretched themselves in the service of the gospel of Christ and were anxious that people in other places should hear that message. 
The word of the inspired apostle to them at the close of his first epistle assured them that what they were about, what they had been about, would not be in vain. The church of the Thessalonians did not begin on a whim of imagination. And the people of the church there would not have to depend on their strength and their resourcefulness to see the work come to its establishment. The God who called them to serve Him would preserve His work among the believers. The purpose of God is not without the will and way to achieve it. So Paul could write, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. So on the occasion of the 37th anniversary of the founding of Phoenix Free Presbyterian Church, let us dwell on these simple words as the testimony of this congregation. This church exists because of the call of God. And without that call, it would not exist. That call from God in eternity appeared in history and flourished through the resources, not of the people who came together to establish it, but through the omnipotence of God. There continues to be a work for God's people to do here in this place. And we may be sure, according to this text, that it will come to pass. Because God has issued the call for this work and he will do it. He will not abandon his people. So let us consider this text as a revelation of this glorious theme, God's faithful word and works. This is a text not only for this church as a corporate body on this anniversary Sunday, but for every person in this congregation on every day of the year. What is your life's work? Whatever it is, God has called you to do it. The Puritans were great believers in the concept of vocation, that your work is not just an occupation, or some way in which you earn money. It is something to which God has called you. And if he has called you to do it, then the testimony of our text is he will enable you to do it. Whatever you need to do what God has called you to do, he will provide. If God has called you to his salvation... He will perform that which he has appointed for you. If God has called you to a particular task in his harvest field, he will equip you, he will enable you for that task. You may feel 
your inability. And you may feel that keenly. But your inability is not the issue here. God's ability is the issue here. God's ability overwhelms your inability. Has God called you to this work? Then be sure that the one who has called you will also do it. I can tell you if I did not believe that truth 40 years ago this year, I would not have entered the theological hall, which we now call Geneva Reformed Seminary, to prepare for the ministry of this denomination. You rest in the assurance today that many others have known the experience of this text before you. God called Abram to go out to a place he did not know, but he obeyed God. God called Moses to endure affliction with the people of God, and he endured, we read in the scriptures, as seeing him who is invisible. God called David from the sheepfold to rule over Israel, and he proved Prove the power of God in that notable contest with Goliath. God called Jeremiah from his mother's womb to preach a message to his countrymen, even though God told his servant the people would not listen to him. How did Jeremiah endure? God enabled him. The Word of God exists in inseparable union with the works of God. The God who said, let there be light, immediately brought light into existence. So when God says something, it will come to pass. So when God said, let the Free Presbyterian Church come into existence in Phoenix, Arizona, not all the demons in hell could stop it. I want us to consider this simple text today as a means of encouragement. There are three major ideas in it. First of all, God's eternal purpose. There is, we read in the text, a call from God. Now, there are people who try to make the call of God into some nebulous thing that you can never know, at least that you can never know with any certainty. But in the case of the Thessalonians, to whom Paul wrote, Paul said, the Lord called them to take their stand in the first century world, in the midst of the Roman Empire, in the midst of all the perversion that existed in that world, God called them to take their stand for the truth. There was no other explanation for what happened in Thessalonica, where the people turned away from a life of idolatry and immorality. There was no other explanation than the call of God. Not even the arguments of Paul 
as imposing as they surely were, and his colleagues who ministered with him would have been sufficient. We read, people turned in Thessalonica from idols, and they turned from idols to serve the living and true God. And Paul referred to that calling in writing to the Romans. Let us turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, uh, yes, that word is in the Bible, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Think of that in connection to the Thessalonians, to the idolaters who turned away from idols there. God called them, having predestinated them, as we read in verse 29, to be conformed to the image of His Son. God called them effectually, powerfully, irresistibly. And He justified them. He declared them righteous. He granted them pardon from all their sins. And God did more because those He justified, He glorified. So the people in Thessalonica knew that experience. They knew that the call of God joins directly to His purpose. And that purpose makes the call effectual, irresistible. Yes, we believe in that doctrine of irresistible grace. Some wonder if God's purpose to save a sinner will meet with frustration or refusal. What kind of a God would he be if such could come to pass? When the call of God goes out, as it did to the people in Thessalonica, to souls dead in trespasses and sins, and it's the purpose of God to awaken that soul or those souls to life and salvation, nothing will stand in the way of the accomplishment of that purpose. Now think of the implications for this free Presbyterian church. It exists at the call of God. We came by various ways and means into this congregation. But ultimately, it was at the call of God. I can assure you it wasn't my idea initially that it would be good to have a free Presbyterian church in Phoenix, Arizona. God hammered that call into my soul. It's a gracious purpose that is behind the call of God. It's nothing to do with what we can do. 
It's not even a reaction to our faith or our works. It is of grace. There can be no surer statement of that reality than what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that, that is the faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The existence of this church over these past 37 years is a testimony to the grace of God. That is, God has blessed us because He has a purpose to bless us. Not in response to anything about us. This gracious purpose appears most powerfully in the work of Christ. God's electing love is in Christ. The establishment of God's church is in Christ. We can know nothing of the purpose of God apart from its rooting in the person of Christ. Let us turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Speaking of God who hath saved us and called us, with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Nothing to do with us, but according to his purpose. The calling is according to his purpose. Turn also to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The God of grace has called us, and it's to him that we ascribe all glory and dominion. The Free Presbyterian Church is, I hope you have figured it out by now, a Christ-centered church. In our preaching, we seek to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We have not come here to promote the opinions of other people, however noble those opinions appear to be. We have come here to publish the word and works of Christ our Redeemer. And this purpose of grace is a purpose to build God's work. And the Thessalonians had a major part in the spread of the gospel in the first century world. We read that passage in the first chapter of this epistle 
of how from them sounded out the word of God. God did not call the Thessalonians to make a mockery out of them, to hold them up to ridicule. He's not in the business of playing games with his people. He has called his people for the building of the church. Let us turn back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Matthew, chapter 16. And here we come to the Scripture that was our text on February 23rd, 1986, in the first worship service in this church's history. Matthew 16 and verse 18, And I say also unto thee the words of Christ, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And during all these years since that time, God has been about that work. Think of it. We have been witnesses to it. Parents have brought their children to dedicate them to the Lord in this church. And those children, by God's grace, have grown up under the sound of the gospel and have come to faith in Christ. We have witnessed their baptisms. We have witnessed their confessions. And one of those children, with her husband, has recently become a communicant member of this church. Those are things no one could have foreseen. We've seen God do great things. I've been thinking of some with whom we have worshipped, some very dear to our hearts, some with whom we have fellowshiped in service to Christ and have been together with them in fellowship times such as we envision for this evening. They're not with us now. They're in the Lord's presence. They are face to face. What will it be? Face to face. They behold him now. God's calling in their lives has come to pass. God has built a work for the glory of the risen Christ. So let us not dwell on the limitations and all the problems. This church needs a new minister. And the devil would have us to believe that it just isn't possible. Too many things against it. But the Lord who called this church into existence can and will call just the right man to be the under-shepherd of this congregation. I believe that. So let us consider the greatness of the God who has called us. He has a purpose to revive the preaching of his truth, and to cause 
sinners to turn to Christ. And that is his eternal purpose. But joined to that purpose, secondly, is God's sovereign power. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. So the purpose of God has behind it the power of God. As we were saying just a little while ago, God said, let there be light. And what does the scripture tell us? There was light. That divine power overwhelms anything that the devil or his servants can lay against it. God has the power of a sovereign. He commands. And it's done. Think of how that purpose and power of God appeared in Thessalonica. If we could, have, if we could go to Thessalonica, if we had the ability to travel through time, and that's not possible, by the way, but if we could go to Thessalonica... And be there when the apostle came. We can read of those days in Acts chapter 17. It was a forbidding place. It was a place of idolatry. It was a place of fornication. It was a place of prostitution. And here was Paul planning to proclaim God's word. Many of the people were not even Jews. They had no acquaintance with Holy Scripture at all. They were immoral. Many perverts. They lived for the flesh. And they had no interest in changing that way of life. In fact, they thought it was a good thing. But let us turn back to Acts 17 and read of what happened. Acts 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. That is, they passed through these other cities. God was not calling them there. They passed through them. We don't read anything about what happened in those places. But they came to Thessalonica, where was the synagogue of the Jews. So there were more Jews in Thessalonica than existed in Philippi. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few, some of them believed and joined themselves to the apostles but we read in verse 5 that the Jews which believed not moved with envy 
and took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sword and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar. There was opposition. But when Paul preached the gospel there, unbelief evaporated in the souls of many people. Not a few, we read. Not a few. There were many who turned to Christ in faith. And these people who turned to Christ in faith discarded their apathy. They knew what had happened in their souls. And they longed to see it happen to others in Thessalonica and in other parts of the world around them. Something changed these people. What was it? It was the power of God. Thinking of the story of Ruth, and you may remember years ago we had some messages on the book of Ruth. And one of the things that has always struck me about Ruth is that when all of the men in their lives were dead, the father, the two sons-in-law, the two sons and their wife, uh, the sons who married the daughters that came from Moab, when they were all gone and Naomi purposed to go back to Bethlehem, she urged her daughters-in-law to return to their own families and to their religion. And one of them did. Orpah went back, but Ruth the Moabitess refused. She said, in response to the pleading of her mother-in-law, she said, I'm not going to leave you. What was the cause of that? What had got into her that she would not, as her sister-in-law had, go back to her gods? It was the power of God that worked upon her heart that turned her from darkness to light. That is what happened in Thessalonica. And it led to what would have been considered impossible, becoming a reality. That there would be a church. A church of the Thessalonians to which the apostle wrote two inspired epistles. Even in the face of hostility, that church became established. Remember the uproar that they created as you can continue reading in Acts 17, and the charge of sedition, these that have turned the world upside down have come hither also, the revolutionaries, that was the charge against them. They were undermining the rule of the governmental power. But in the face of that hostility, a church became established there and began spreading missionary endeavor around the world. 
God's call and God's power are such a formidable combination that nothing can stand against them. And that leads me to the third part of our text. God's covenant loyalty. Here's the first word in the text. Faithful. Faithful is he that calleth you. Who also will do it. That is God's purpose has its roots in his loyalty to what he has said. He is the beginning and the ending. We can never say we are the beginning and the ending of anything. The world was here before we came. And unless we live until the coming of Christ, the world will be here after we are gone. But God is the beginning and the ending. Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And God cannot deny himself. Having purposed something, he cannot say, I I can't bring it about. I can't bring it to pass. His promises can be trusted. So once again today, we rededicate ourselves to the trust in the promises of God. God is faithful. God is faithful. So that faith in him, trust in his word, will not lead to disappointment. We can never understand all the purposes of God. But I can say, this church exists because of God's call. And that tells me that it will continue to exist as long as God has a purpose for it to fulfill in that call. God is faithful in his word. If there's anything we should know after all these years, it is that God is faithful in his word. We can depend upon what God has said. And he is faithful in his works. That covenant loyalty is that which we hold to, that which we cling to. And we know that whatever is necessary for the establishment of that call, God will do it because he is faithful. So I trust that the Lord will encourage you today That having begun this good work, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, he will establish it until the coming of Christ. May God bless his word and encourage your hearts with it. And indeed revive our souls afresh today through the faithfulness of our God. Let us bow together in prayer. Our gracious Father and our eternal God, we praise Thee again this day for Thy mercy to us. O Lord, how we rejoice in this truth of Thy faithfulness to Thy purpose and to Thy power.
that thy word and thy works are joined together, and that what thou hast purposed in the divine calling will come to pass in the lives of those whom that call reaches. So, Lord, we thank thee. It is a word for the establishment and the work of the Church of Christ. We pray that thou wilt enable us to rest upon that faithful word today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.